All right, while they receive the offering, go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Uh, Matthew 20 is where we're going to be. If you did not bring a Bible, that's okay. There's a blue one underneath the seat you're sitting in. You just got to reach down there, sift through the, the lint in the like crayons and stuff that kids have left down there, and you'll find a blue Bible, I promise. It's, it's down there. Go ahead and pull that out. Matthew uh, 20 is where we're going to be, and we are in this initiative that we're calling the Path of Flourishing. We've been in it for um, several weeks now, since September. Since the very beginning of September, we've been in it, um, and we are in the last pathway that we're going to talk about before Advent, which is uh, starts in two weeks. Um, and so the last pathway is by community. Now, if you've been tracking with us, you know each one of these pathways, um, the, the question is, man, how do, we, how do we have a flourishing relationship with Jesus, right? Jesus said, man, I came to give life and give it abundantly. How do we experience that life? How do we experience that level of flourishing in our lives? This is not, this is not how do we attain more happiness. This is not how do we attain more health. This is not how do we attain more wealth. It's how do we attain more of Jesus, and all of these pathways have been directly linked to Jesus, right? Um, man, we, the first one was we flourish by beholding Jesus. Man, Jesus says, I'm the source of all true human flourishing. I'm, I, I am the vine. You are the branches. Like it all flows through me, right? Whoever abides in me, he it is that bears much fruit. I mean, we must behold the source of all true human flourishing. So we behold Jesus. We follow Jesus. We become like Jesus. These have been the first three paths. We spent weeks talking about those three things. And now this one's a little bit different. It's community. Community with each other, right? Um, and so it's a, little bit, it's a little bit different than the first three pathways. Um, but I, I'm going to argue this morning that there is something distinct about the community of Jesus. There's something that separates us from all of the other communities of the world. Um, as I was beginning to prepare for this morning, uh, if you've been with us, you know that on the second Sunday in the pathway, so we've spent three Sundays on each one of these pathways. And the first one, we just kind of define it. The second one, we answer the question, how does it produce flourishing? So how does beholding Jesus produce flourishing? How does following Jesus produce flourishing? Well, how does community produce flourishing? So all week I've been wrestling through, how does community produce flourishing? And it was about like, Noon yesterday that I realized, that's a dumb question, um, which is never a good thing when you're preparing a sermon, to realize that noon on Saturday, that's a really dumb thing to talk about. Here's why it's dumb. And I, I, like, everybody already knows that community produces flourishing. Like, I don't have to convince you of that. I don't have to explain that to you. All of the research and all of the stats declare that community brings flourishing, right? Um, he, I'll give you a few stats. These are all things that I was getting ready to preach on, and then I realized that's, this is dumb. Um, but you know what? I, I did the work, so you're going to have to sit through it for a minute anyways. Nearly half of Americans feel alone. 46% of Americans say, yeah, I just, I'm just kind of lonely. 46% are just like, I don't, I don't have a ton of friends. When something good happens in their life, and they're like, man, I want to share this experience they don't really know who to call. Like, they don't have very many people in their life to share that with. 47% feel left out. It's like, okay, yeah, I know that my friends have friends, but I don't really, I'm not really in that. I'm not really a part of that. I don't have that level of friendship. I don't have that level of community. Increasing 50, 54%, so over half, say that they feel that no one really knows them well. 54% of Americans say, man, nobody in my life really genuinely knows me. Like, fully, like the depths of my soul, my, my greatest desires, my greatest dreams, my greatest hopes, like nobody actually 
knows me. Like, they know some things about me. Maybe they know my name and my address and where I work and kind of the, the basic things of life, but they don't know me. Additionally, 56% of people say that, they're, they, that, the, that those, the people that they surround themselves with are not necessarily with them. Are you tracking with me? So over half of Americans say, yeah, my closest friends, people that I surround myself with, aren't actually present in my life. They're not actually here. Like when we've, we've kind of entered into this time in our culture and our society where it's acceptable to have, say, man, my, yeah, all my friends, I've got really, really deep, close friendships and relationships, but they're online. Like social media and technology have opened us up to say, man, my deepest friendships aren't really here. Like I don't, they're not present with me. Like so, so most of Americans, over half of us in this room would say, man, my friends aren't the people that I'm doing life with. They're, they're friends from like high school or college that live several states away. Like, like 100 years ago, that didn't exist. Like you didn't have, most of the people you know didn't live in another state. You didn't have 10 friends in New York. That didn't, that didn't exist. But now it's like, oh yeah, I got friends everywhere. I have friends in every state. I, got fr- like, I can go anywhere. Like my wife and I were talking about how we're, we're planning some holiday travel and we're like, well, what if we get stuck? Like who do we know? We're like, oh yeah, we know tons of people in that city. We know plenty of people there. Like it'd be fine. Like, like we know people everywhere. Like not, not too long ago, that was impossible, right? But now most of Americans are saying, man, the people that are closest to me aren't actually close to me. Like they're not physically close to me. There's nobody actually engaged in my life, which is why nobody knows us. And this is damaging us. We've we've known for a long time that loneliness or the lack of community leads to things like depression and anxiety. Like that's that's a no-brainer. We all know that, but it's actually more than that. There was researchers at UCLA discovered that social, social isolation triggers cellular changes that result in chronic inflammation, predisposing the lonely to serious physical conditions like heart disease, stroke, cancer, and Alzheimer's. Like the more lonely you are, the more likely you are to have heart disease and stroke and Alzheimer's. And that's crazy. That's crazy. In fact, it even goes further. There's another research found that loneliness is just as lethal as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So you don't have to quit smoking. You just need to find some friends. Like, that's amazing. That's good news for my smoker friends in the room. Like, hey, just cut back a little bit. Find some more friends that don't mind your smoking. And you're actually going to live longer than, than most people who don't have friends. So in some ways, that's good news. In other ways, it's horrible news. Loneliness is growing in 1984, the average American had three confidants, like three people that were like, man, these are my boys. Like, these are the people who know me well. If, I, if like, life is crumbling, they're the ones. I can say anything to them. I can, I can confess my deepest insecurities, and they're not going anywhere. Now, fast forward three, three generations. Today, 25% of Americans would say, I have zero confidants. There's nobody in my life that I can truly lean on. In, like my, in the dark hour of my soul, there's no place to go. Loneliness is a growing thing. A lack of community is a growing thing. In places that are ahead of us here in America, places like Japan, this is an insane stat I found out this week, half a million people in Japan under the age of 40, half a million people have not left their house or had an actual social interaction face-to-face with somebody in six months. 
That's insane. Like, what is wrong with us? What are we doing? And we know it's killing us. We know it's bad for us. The reality is, like, I don't have to convince anybody in this room that that's not good for you. Like, that's, that's like a no-brainer. Like, that's, that's messed up. Like, that's, that's not okay. Like, we need relationship. We need community. Like, everybody on the planet needs community. Right? It's, not, it's not a coincidence that when we think of, I mean, what's, what's, the, what's the greatest punishment that we could give somebody? Like, somebody, somebody murders somebody. Like, what is the punishment that we ascribe to them, right? We, well, we put them in prison. We remove them from their community. We remove them from their relationships. Well, what if they cause trouble in prison? Like they stab somebody in prison, like they melt down a toothbrush and shank somebody, right? I've watched Lockup. I know how it goes, okay? What do we do to them then? Solitary confinement. Like the worst thing we can think of is to remove all relationships. We know it's not good to be alone. We know that we need relationships. And, and I could, we could preach all day on, on how that's, that's wired into us by the God of all things, who in and of himself is a relationship. But I don't have to convince you. I don't, I don't have to convince you of that. I think the more important question that we need to wrestle with here at Flourishing Grace is what, what makes a community flourish? What actually brings flourishing to the community? I, I know that community brings flourishing to my life. I know that I need it to flourish. But what actually makes the community that I'm a part of flourish? What makes flourishing grace itself better? That's the question that I want to wrestle with this morning. That's where I want us to go. And I think that Jesus actually gives us great insight into how he hopes that his church, his community, his kingdom will flourish by the actions of the people who live in that community, in that kingdom. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Matthew 20. We're going to pick it up in verse 20. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's follow along. Um, the, first, the first part of this is just going to kind of set up, um, set up where we're going. So here's the story, the back story. Verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, came up to him, to Jesus, with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. All right, so here's what's happening, right? Jesus is there with his disciples, and the mom of the two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, mama comes up and says, Jesus, here's what I want. I want you to make my boys like in charge. When you become king, when you rule the world, I want James and John to sit at your right hand and your left. Like that's what I want. Power, authority, right? That's what we want. And James and John are like hiding behind mama like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we want. That's what we want. And Jesus doesn't even address her. Jesus turns straight to the boys, and here's what he says to them. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? Now, they don't understand what Jesus means when he says that, right? Jesus is talking about his death. He's talking about the cross. Are you, are you able to do that? Are you able to go to the cross? Are you able to bleed out? And they said to him, yeah, oh, yeah, we're in. We're able. We're able to do that. We can, we can for sure do that. And he said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my Father. Jesus says, listen, you will die a death. You will suffer for your faith. That's, that's true. But I can't say who's going to sit at my right hand or my left. 
That's for the Father to decide. That's for him to choose. But now here's what I want you to hear. And when the, when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. So everybody else hears, they're frustrated, like, wow, how dare you ask that? What are you doing? I can't believe that you would ask for more power. I can't believe that you'd ask for more authority. What makes you think that you're better than I am? And here's what Jesus does. Jesus says, all right. He calls them to himself, and he says, verse 25, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the Roman leaders, they lorded over them. And the great ones, they're Caesars, they exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Not in my community, no. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And those last few verses, friends, I think, I think is the key to a flourishing community. Jesus says, it's not gonna be that way in my community. It's not gonna be that way amongst my friends. I'm gonna set an example. I'm gonna set, uh, I'm gonna show you what it's like to actually create a community that, that flourishes more than all the other communities of the world. And he's prescribed it. He says, this is what it has to be like. There must be this combination, this elevating of two things. Power, right? If you, if you want strength, you want power, you want to be first, we must elevate that. But at the same time, we must elevate vulnerability, slavery, and servanthood. These are the two things that as they increase in our individual lives, the community actually flourishes. Um, there was an author, uh, Andy Crouch. Andy wrote a book. He actually has written several books that have been very, very actually impactful to my life and my family. But um, a recent book they wrote is uh, the book Strong and Weak. Super short, quick, easy read. Strong and Weak. And in it, Andy talks about this particular passage. And he unpacks uh, kind of what does it look like to actually develop a, a flourishing community. In fact, the subtitle of the book is Embracing a Life of Love, Risk, and True Flourishing. Like how does a community truly flourish. Here's what he says, okay? Um, he gives us this diagram. This is from the book, okay? These, these kind of four quadrants, and I'm going to explain what this means in a minute. I know it looks a little confusing, but there's two, two things on those axes, right? There's vulnerability and there's authority. He describes authority this way. He defines it. He says, authority or strength, right? Strong and weak. So strength or authority is one's capacity for meaningful action in the world, it's one's capacity for meaningful action. So, so the more authority I have, the more I can actually influence for the good. The more good I can do. The more, I mean, the more bad you can do as well. That's for sure true. But when we couple with, with vulnerability, it's our capacity to do good stuff, to actually have influence in other people's lives, to bring about something better in other people. That's authority. That's strength. We want that. That's a good thing. And I'm going to argue in a minute that that's, Jesus wanted that. Jesus wants you to increase in your strength and in your authority. We'll explain it in a minute. He goes on uh, weakness or vulnerability, which is the other access there. Vulnerability is one's exposure to meaningful risk in the world. Vulnerability is, is the amount that we're willing to be exposed to meaningful risk. Right? To actually put ourselves out there and to say, man, I, I know that this might blow back on me and I know this might be uncomfortable, but I'm going to wade into this person's suffering. I'm going to engage in this person's pain and, and I'm going I'm to 
serve them. I'm going to be their slave. Like, this is the vulnerability piece. I'm going to wade into that. All right, so it's our capacity or one's exposure to meaningful risk in the world. So he gives these four quadrants, okay? Um, And the first one on the lower, your right, is suffering. Nobody wants to be there, and we can quickly agree, I think, that that's not where flourishing is found, okay? Suffering is, is high vulnerability with no or very little authority, okay? So you have no capacity for meaningful uh, good to, to actually create something better for other people. In fact, you don't have capacity to help yourself, right? It's kind of this helplessness, this suffering. So you are vulnerable, you are exposed. Um, this, is the, this is the spouse who's kind of trapped in an abusive relationship. Uh, this is the, the child that's um, enslaved into sex trafficking, um, completely exposed, totally vulnerable, completely being taken advantage of because they have no power, they have no authority, okay? Now, we can all quickly say, yeah, that's not, that's not flourishing, right? And so the people who in the world are uh, kind of like religious crazies who um, say, man, I'm just going to suffer for the gospel, um, but it's like meaningless suffering, right? So they like sleep on a bed of nails and they just like sell all their clothes. They wear like sackcloth and they like walk on coals or whatever. I don't know, I'm making stuff up. But like I'm just gonna suffer for the gospel. I'm gonna, like, but it's meaningless suffering. That's, that's not flourishing. There's no capacity. There's no capacity for meaningful action in that. They've forfeited all that. And, and their suffering is meaningless as well. Like, that's, that's not where we want to be. Everybody in the world wants to be on the left side of the quadrant in one of these two categories. So the bottom one, the bottom left, is withdrawing, okay? Um, and a lot of us in the room, um, that's where we would like to be. That's the place of total and complete comfort, okay? Uh, this is actually James and John, the sons of Zebedee, right? They've given up all authority, and they've given up all vulnerability, they are, they are protected by their mom, and their mom is, 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 is the one who's fighting for them and taking the authority for them, okay? Uh, Andy Crouch says this is the 28-year-old guy who's still living in mom and dad's basement, okay? Right? Totally safe. There's no vulnerability, right? I've got a roof over my head. I've got food on the table. I don't got to worry about anything because mom and dad got me taken care of. But there's also no authority. There's no responsibility. There's no, there's no level of like expectation on, on my life. And so I'm just free to kind of do whatever I want. Like a lot of us, man, that's like a first world like luxury, okay? Um, but in our culture, and especially like my generation and the generations that are coming after me, that's where we want to be. And in fact, I think if Jesus were to speak to his disciples today, he might lean more heavily on withdrawing uh, than he did on uh, the, the other quadrant where he actually landed. But the reality is, is that we can live in, in mom and dad's basement or in, in our nice sweet apartment as mom and dad pay our rent, um, and, and just no vulnerability. There's no exposure to meaningful risk. I'm safe. I'm comfortable. I don't, I'm free from need. I'm free from want. And we can get our fix of need and want on like things like social media or video games. Andy Crouch kind of describes this idea that man, in social media, right, I can, I can pretend to have authority. How dare you say this? I can fight for my cause, but I'm hiding behind a screen. There's no vulnerability. And really the authority is fake too because people can just turn it off. They don't have to listen to me. It's not real. It's not genuine. Or in video games, I can feel like I have authority. I'm commanding this army, or I can feel like I have vulnerability. Man, what if I lose? It's just like, it's all fake. It's not real. It's not genuine. It's just 
some dumb guy living in mom's basement. L- ladies, let me help you out. If you're single and you're dating somebody and he's living in his parents' basement, run, okay? Just don't, just don't do that. Don't do that. We need vulnerability and authority. If there's ever going to be flourishing, listen to me, in our marriages. If there's ever going to be flourishing in our marriages, if there's ever going to be flourishing in our homes, in our families, in, in our places of work, in any community, we need authority and vulnerability, right? Now, the upper left is, um, is uh, exploiting. Now, that's, that's low vulnerability. I'm not vulnerable, but I have high authority. So I have raw power, okay? No one tells me how to do it. Nobody tells me I'm wrong. Nobody, nobody has, can push back on me. I'm in charge. I'm in control. Don't, how dare you ever speak to me, okay? Uh, about, and tell me that I'm wrong in any way, shape, or form, right? The, this is, um, man, every, every kind of dictator that the world has ever known, right? This is, this is where we actually want to be. This is where humans gravitate towards that quadrant. Whether you realize it or not, that's your heart's desire. To be in a place where you're totally safe, but you're totally in control. I have all the authority, I have all the control, but I, I have zero vulnerability. I have nothing to really worry about. That's where we want to be. We think that that's where flourishing is, but ultimately it destroys communities. Hitlers and Stalins come out of communities like that, come out of hearts like that. If that's your longing, if that's your goal, then your community can never actually flourish. And I'll let you in on a little bit of a secret. Every other major religion in the world, that's where they live. Think about it for a second. Just, just think of a religion in your mind, just one major religion. Where does all of the authority flow? to one man? Where does all the vulnerability flow? Away from that man. Every religion except for one, biblical Christianity, like true, orthodox, Jesus-centered biblical Christianity. It's the only one. It's, it's the only one. In fact, Christianity is the only religion that, that moves towards that flourishing category where we have a high vulnerability and a high authority, right? This is what Jesus is describing in Matthew um, chapter 20, right? But whoever would be great, high authority, whoever would be great, he's not, he's not saying you shouldn't long for greatness. He's not saying that you shouldn't be great. But what does he say? Whoever should be great, whoever wants to be great must be your servant's high vulnerability, Whoever be first among you, high authority, must also be your slave, high vulnerability. He said, man, we must have both. For a community to flourish, there must be both. And this is the mark of Jesus' community. This is how Jesus engages in community. Again and again and again, we see this high authority, high vulnerability, again and again and again and again in the life of Jesus. And this is how flourishing actually truly takes place. There's some easy examples. From John 13, 3, uh, reads this way. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given, listen, all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Okay? That's high authority. The Father has given all things into his hands. Everything has been handed over to him. It's high authority. You can't get much higher than that. And that he's come from God, and that no matter how bad things might be in this moment, he's going back to God. That's high authority. Look at the very next verse. 
verse 4. Rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. High vulnerability. Exposes himself to meaningful risk. He says, I'm going to put myself beneath you. Even though I have all the authority, I put myself beneath you and I will cleanse your feet. I will serve you. He's modeling this way of community for us. Think about the story of Lazarus, right? Jesus' good friend Lazarus dies. Jesus shows up. His disciples are there, right? These men that are all looking to him to be the example of strength and leadership. His family's there. Friends are there. And what does Jesus do? He cries. He weeps. He just breaks down. He's just sobbing and sobbing. High vulnerability. High vulnerability. And then what's he do? Lazarus, come out. He raises from the grave. Lazarus, Lazarus raises from the dead and walks out of the grave. That's, that's some high authority. So, so the one who weeps, who can identify with their pain, opens himself to meaningful risk, says, man, I'm, I'm not above pain. I'm not above sorrow. I'm not above tears. Also says, man, I, but I got the authority to raise the dead. How Jesus engages community, right? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me in the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Like, you can't get much higher authority than that. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What did he do right before that? Became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was tortured and brutally, brutally executed. Can't get much more vulnerable than that willingly gave his life for you. The one who holds all authority exposed himself to all vulnerability. He says, this, this is how communities truly flourish. This is the way it must be. Jesus wasn't the only one that did this. Paul gives us an example of this as well in his life. Uh, Paul talks about, in, in, uh, to the church in Corinth, he talks about that he had this, this thorn in his flesh, right? He's like, man, I, I, we don't know what that is. We don't know if that was, um, we know it's not actually a thorn in his flesh, okay? He didn't, like, he could have taken care of that. Uh, it's, a, it's figurative language to say, man, I've got this issue in my life. Now, it could be a physical ailment. It could be something that's wrong with his body. Um, it could be a sin that he's just like, man, I have fought against this for so long and I just can't seem to stop. It just keeps haunting me. Or it could be like a person in his life that was just always annoying and always just impeding him and always giving him grief. And I know you don't have anybody in your life like that and neither do I. Um, but you can imagine what it'd be like. Uh, here's what Paul says about it. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want that power. I want that authority. I want that responsibility. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I 
am strong. When I'm open and I'm exposed to meaningful risk, when there's vulnerability in my life, then there's a greater authority. Then there's greater power in my life. Paul says, man, I want both because both is where the communities that I'm a part of are going to actually flourish. You cannot flourish without vulnerability and without authority. It's, it's going to jack up families. It's going to jack up community. Think, just think about it for a second, right? High authority with no vulnerability in your marriage. How does that work out for you, fellas, when you're just like, I want respect, but I don't want to be vulnerable? How does that work out in your marriage? Not very well. How does it work out in your places of work? Not, not very well. Nobody, nobody likes that boss. Nobody, nobody wants to work there. Nobody wants to work with you. No vulnerability, no, no, no authority. Like, I just don't, I just don't want to be held accountable for anything. I don't want to be, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want anything, I don't want any pressure in my life. I just, I just want to just be me and you be you and just, we'll just, how does that actually work out? Nobody can depend on you. Nobody can count on you. Nobody wants to really be with you or around you. They think it's ridiculous that your parents are still paying your rent. A little bitterness towards you. It doesn't, it doesn't work out. And so what Jesus is prescribing here in Matthew 20 is a different type of community. A community that embraces both authority and vulnerability. People who say, man, I want Authority. Now, we might have a problem with that. Like, we might, in our minds, like, think, man, that doesn't sound right. Like, we're taught to, like, not seek power, not to seek. But that's not actually not true. Jesus says, man, you should seek, you should rise to f- try to find more capacity for, for meaningful action in your life. And so here's what I want to do for the rest of our time, just real quick. What does that look like here? What does that look like for this community? We could talk about your marriage. We could talk about your place of work. We can talk about uh, any other community that you're a part of. And this is always going to ring true. But I want to talk about this community here at Flourishing Grace. If we want to experience true flourishing in this community, what does that look like? Okay, so how, does it, how do we pursue a higher capacity or to, uh, to increase one's capacity for meaningful action in the community? For those of you who have been a part of Flourishing Grace Church for a while, Where does your authority need to increase in order for the community to reach a greater level of flourishing? Where does your personal authority in this community, in in this room, in this church, where does your authority need to increase? Where have you been kind of sitting passively, idly by and just kind of allowing things to happen and saying, man, that's, that's great. Maybe for some of us we say, well, I, I did. I served, I gave, I did my time, and now it's just kind of like my time to sit back. I did the work. This community cannot flourish, and you will never experience the full flourishing of the community if that's our mindset, if that's our attitude. Some of you are, uh, maybe you've been coming for a while, and you've been, uh, man, you love to attend, you love to kind of show up and, and, then, and then slip out, but you don't want to really be known, you don't really be exposed, you don't really want to have any expectations on you. And so we've been kind of too passive to kind of take that step into partnership. I talked about partnership earlier, right? This step that says, man, I want to increase my vulnerability. I, I, I want to be held accountable to my actions. I want to be held accountable to growing in my relationship with Jesus. But I also want higher authority. Like, I, I want greater responsibility. I want to be at the core of what God's doing here at Flourish. Grace. Where do you need to increase your capacity for meaningful action? 
I think partnership's actually a really, really easy step. If you're not a partner here at Flourishing Grace, that's a great place to start. Where are you leading out right now at Flourishing Grace? Like, what's your area of leadership? Like, where are you leading? Somewhat of a trick question, because from a lot of us in the room, the answer is like, well, I'm not. But what if you were? What if you were to actually own something? Like, to take it and say, this is mine, and I'm going to work with all of my mind, with all of my strength to see it flourish. Um, I'll pick on somebody who I know is not here. They're on vacation this week. But uh, Lacey Desmond, a lot of you guys know Lacey. Lacey leads our MOPS ministry, Mothers of Preschoolers. And everybody kind of knows, like, Lacey leads MOPS. Like, she has the authority. She said, man, I'll take that authority. I will, I will rise to that. I will hold the authority of MOPS. And kind of under her leadership, it's, it's flourished. It is, it is grown and it's strengthened. As she's kind of said, man, I'm going to take charge of that. Now, she has unbelievable ladies who are working with her and helping her. She's not doing it on her own. But she said, man, I'll, I'll kind of take the mantle and I'll, I, will, I will lead that. And everybody kind of knows, okay, she's in, she's in charge of that. What are you in charge of? Maybe you just need to say, I mean, I've been volunteering for a while, but I'm not actually holding any authority. Like, I'm just showing up, and I'm showing up on time, and I'm doing all the right things, and I'm, I'm teaching the kids beautiful things from the Gospel Project, and it's amazing. I love what's happening in my class, but, like, I need to begin to own this. Maybe you just need to go to Lindsay or somebody on our staff and say, man, I, I want to own this area of ministry. Like, I want to I take these kids and take all the volunteers underneath, like, the elementary class, and I want to pour my life into them and take the volunteer leaders out to coffee and to train them and equip them and begin to breathe life into them and encourage them and just own this so that when those elementary kids grow up and they begin to go into fifth and sixth grade, that we just have this flourishing community of fifth and sixth graders just bursting with life. Like, I want to own it. I, I want to pour my life into that. One of the major ways that you could do this, maybe even a, maybe a step above that, maybe a step above all of those things, is um, what we've realized at Flourishing Grace is that we, as a staff, as leaders, we have not done a good job of doing this, actually. Uh, we just did a staff retreat two weeks ago. Um, we had an amazing time with our team, and this is one of the primary things we talked about. It was like, man, we're, we're, not, we're not releasing enough of the authority. Like, we're kind of keeping it and saying, well, here's how we want things to be, and so let's just make sure we do it right. And we need to be a, we need to be a staff and a team that says, man, who, who wants the authority? Who wants to sit at the table? Like, who actually wants to be on our staff team? And so what we've done is we've created these this kind of volunteer staff positions where we say, man, if you, if you want to be on our staff team, like, you want to actually come to the meetings and engage and serve with us, man, we want to open that up to people here at Flourishing Grace. And so we've kind of created these volunteer staff positions, uh, small groups coordinator, first impressions coordinator, facility coordinator, outreach and events coordinator, pastoral admin, and, uh, and family ministry assistant, like these are positions like on our staff team that we just want to kind of open up and say, hey, these are things that we believe that if somebody would, took the authority and said, man, I will own that. Like I will give my life to that. In this season, like I'll kind of have a, have a dual role. I'll have my career in one hand and I'll serve the church in the other in this season of my life. Like this community would actually flourish more. And so if you want to learn more about that, you can email Binger or you can uh, go on our website, flourishinggrace.org slash volunteer staff, not VS. It didn't, didn't work. The internet was like, that's, that's a lame website. Don't use that. So we changed it to volunteer staff. Flourishinggrace.org slash volunteer staff. And you can um, learn more about that kind of in just 
Ask, ask questions. If you, want to, if you want to know more about it, ask Benji, ask myself, ask Lindsay, ask Josh. We'd love to tell you more about that um, and help you get plugged in to volunteer staff. He, here's, here's why this is so beautiful. When I was in Chicago, uh, I led a ministry of over a 1,000 young urban professionals. These are young singles, like young, uh, right out of college, uh, just, just starting their careers in the city, kind of this dog-eat-dog world and just kind of going hard after it. Um, and I, I led this ministry of over 1,000 young urban professionals, and I was the only staff person. I was the only one. And so we built a team of volunteer staff. We had 12 folks that were all young urban professionals, all just hungry for their careers. We had, um, we had a doctor on our team. We had a brilliant attorney who's now a professor of law on our team. We had an interior designer. We had just businessmen, uh, traders downtown, all kinds of people on this team. And we saw their lives flourish as a result of them kind of releasing their grasp and saying, man, I, I want to hold authority in this ministry. I want to be in charge. I want to increase my capacity for meaningful action. And so in the midst of their crazy busy lives, they carved out space to hold a greater capacity for meaningful action, and they ran the ministry. They planned it. They organized it. They implemented it. They did everything in this ministry, and the ministry flourished, and their lives flourished. My life, my family's life flourished as a result of those teams. To this day, they're some of my best friends. I don't know if you guys, some of you guys probably know this, but some of you probably don't. Like, our, our pastoral staff here at Flourishing Grace, we all raise half of our salary. We raise it outside of Flourishing Grace. We, we go outside and we raise it. Most of the people who support me are from that team. Like, most of the people who pay half my salary are from that team. And they've said, man, I want authority in your ministry wherever you go. You can move a thousand miles away, but I still want to increase my capacity for meaningful action in your ministry wherever you go. And so I just wonder, what would it look like if at Flourishing Grace we all said, man, I want to increase my capacity for meaningful action for the sake of this, for this community? What would happen? A huge part of your flourishing in community is your willingness to seek capacity for meaningful action. You can't sit on the sidelines of community and flourish. But we can't just increase our capacity for meaningful action. We can't just increase our, our, our authority. We must also increase our vulnerability, right? If all you want is to be in charge, this community will fail. If all you want is power, I just want to be able to tell Josh what to do, which is probably true of some people. Uh, and that's fine. You can tell me what to do. I may or may not listen, but you can tell me what to do. If that's all you want, okay, like this, this doesn't flourish. We, we, need, we need authority and vulnerability, so where is God stirring in your heart to open you up, to expose you to greater risk? Where is he calling you to take a chance? And, and maybe it's somebody in this room or maybe it's somebody in your small group. Maybe it's, maybe it's a student or a kid at Flourishing Grace and just for a season of your, season of your life, you just need to say, man, they're mine. Like, I know they're going through some really hard things. I know that their family's really wrestling through some stuff. I, I know there's some things going on, and they're mine. They're going to sit at my table. They're coming to my house. I, I'm taking them out to coffee. I'm going to pour into them. Maybe it's just maybe somebody who's just really young in their faith, 
And you just need to go to them and say, hey, listen, I love what God is doing in your life, and I want to be a part of that. Can, can I just meet with you and pour into you for the next season of your life? And for some of you, that might sound weird, but let me tell you something. That's not weird. Nobody's going to say no to that. Like nobody is actually hungry for a relationship with Jesus is going to say no to that. Unless maybe they already have that person in their life that's already doing that. That's maybe the only, only real reason, right? There, there's no, but you got to open yourself up to meaningful risk. To say, man, I would love to pour into your life. I want, I want authority and I want vulnerability in your life. I want to serve you. Um, maybe it's a, Maybe it's a single mom or a new mom or one of our, one of our kind of more elderly folks that just needs more care, that needs more affection, that needs more help in this season or this hour of their life. What does it look like for you to say, man, I'm going to open myself up to that vulnerability. I'm going to move into that meaningful risk. And, and I know, I know this might get awkward. I know that they might say something or do something or I might have to like give more than I actually wanted to give, right? More time, more energy, more effort. But I'm willing to open myself and expose myself to that need. I'm willing to wade into that. Where is God calling you in the midst of this community to increase your vulnerability? Maybe it is one of our leaders. I mean, our staff and some of the leadership around here, they give and 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 they don't get a ton in return. No, don't mishear me. There are people who are unbelievably kind and generous to our staff. But overall, that's just how leadership works, Right? Maybe you just need to say to one of our leaders, just say, hey, I don't know what you got going on this Friday, but your kids are coming to my house. I'm going to open myself up. I'm going to expose myself to meaningful risk because maybe their kids are tears, okay? Maybe, maybe you don't do kids. You're like, I don't really hang out with kids, but your kids are coming to my house. I want you to go out with your spouse and spend some meaningful time together. Maybe you just need to love on somebody who doesn't get loved on very often. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know that in order for this community to flourish, like, we must increase our vulnerability. We must increase our meaningful risk. Maybe you just need to clean some toilets. You know who cleans the toilets here at Flourishing Grace? I do, and I love it, but I'd share that with you. <laughs> I'm serious. Maybe, just maybe, your heart just burns for authority, and it hates vulnerability. How do you kill that? How do you kill that? You throw yourself into service. I had a friend in college who, in his entire undergraduate, he graduated with a 4.0. Graduated with a 4.0. His entire time as an undergraduate, he never got less than an A plus 100%. On every paper, on every exam, on every test, he never got less than an A. I hate that guy, okay? Um, but listen, at the, end of, at the end of our time in college, he had offers from everything, every career he wanted, every job he wanted was fighting for him. They wanted him to come work at their company. They're offering him ridiculous salary, ridiculous. It's like insane what this guy was getting offered. And he felt this like increasing longing for more and more authority and more and more power and just shoving down, shoving down vulnerability. And so you know where he went to work after he graduated? Google, no, McDonald's, flipping burgers for one year. He killed his desire for authority without vulnerability with a spatula. He just flipped burgers for a year, and he made relationships and built community with people who were so far intellectually below him. And I don't mean that as an insult because I am far intellectually below him. Um, he, he, he went to their kids' birthday parties, 
and he invited them to church, and he poured into their lives for a year. These, these people who didn't speak the same language as him and looked the same as him and weren't nearly as smart as him. He said, man, I want to just be vulnerable, completely exposed for a year of my life before I enter into this position of authority. Maybe you just need to kill that, that thing in you that says, man, I, I should be in charge. I should control. Maybe, maybe you just need to get a vacuum or a toilet brush or a hammer and just engage. Just say, nothing, nothing is beneath me. Listen, friends, here's the reality. Here, here's where community flourishes. When the people of the community care about the flourishing of the community more than they care about their own flourishing. That's where I want us to be at Flourishing Grace. That, that is the model that our Savior and our King has modeled for us. And that's what he's called us to. And the gospel actually frees us to do that. We have nothing to earn. We have nothing. There, there's no part of us that we need to hide or mask anymore. We can live totally vulnerable and totally exposed because the God of all things says, man, I love you and I'm proud of you. And, and I, I want you to kind of just be, come, come serve, come engage fully and completely. And I wonder, what would it look like if the people at Flourishing Grace said, I'm not going to care about my own flourishing more than I care about the flourishing of the community I am. In our marriages, I'm not going to care about my flourishing more than I'm going to care about the flourishing of my marriage as a whole or my family as a whole, my neighborhood as a whole, my city as a whole, my town as a whole, my, my place of work as a whole, this community right here as a whole. What might God do? What might happen if we actually begin to fight for greater authority and greater vulnerability as individuals in this place for the sake of the whole. We might look a lot more like Jesus and we might actually truly flourish. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning and I ask that you would bless this community. You already have. You already have. In so many ways, every single one of us in this room who have been here for more than a week or two have been unbelievably blessed by the other people in this room. And so for those of us who have maybe been sitting passively by, afraid to kind of open up, afraid to hold a position of authority, pray that you just shake us out of that. For those of us who maybe have slipped into that after a season of being vulnerable, a season of being uh, in a position of authority, we've slipped into the comforts of not being known and not being expected of anything. I pray that you'd help us to see the, the evil in that, the brokenness in that, and the hopelessness in that. Would you lift our gaze to you? Might we see the community that you've called us into? May it not be so with you. Might we be a people who fight for a greater capacity for meaningful action? Might we fight to lead? Might we fight to be first? Might we fight to be strong? But might we also be servants and slaves? fight to be weak so that you and your power and your strength might be on display before us 
Would you lead this community? Would you lead Flourishing Grace into a greater flourishing relationship with you? For these things in your sweet name, in the name of Jesus, amen.